If you have your Bibles this morning, you're probably already in Genesis chapter 2. I want you to go ahead and turn to Psalm 139 also. And I wanted to share a story with you. I had the opportunity to go into Eastern Europe uh, a couple of times and maybe three times. Um, I, the, 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 the funnest trip was when I was able to uh, be near the Danube River. We crossed over on a ferry, um, went over the river, and was able to go into Sofia, Bulgaria. Um, but one of the things that uh, I noted was that when I was in Romania, a little small town called Bucharest, we had dinner with a family, and one of the men was a person who drove the ambulance. And uh, he wanted to say something to me, he wanted to communicate. The Romanian language is a lot like Spanish. Some of the words are Spanish. And so, like if you were to say bueno uh, in Spanish would be good, um, buna is good, forte buna, very good in, in the Romanian language. Uh, buna dimineatska, uh, how you would say good morning to you. Uh, Napte buna uh, would be good night. Um, and so you have these, these words that actually I could understand a little bit, but most of them I couldn't. And, and so I was asking the missionary there that, could, that knew both languages. He was from France, and he knew the French language, but he also knew the Romanian language. And, uh, and it was able to tell me that the man is saying that he was wondering, how do you get people from the accident scene to the hospital without them dying? Because on the way there, most of them lose the ability to breathe. And I began to think about the technology because after college, I went to a place where, we, where I learned how to give people oxygen that are struggling with breathing. Um, COPD is a problem in our country, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And so those people that, that, that have that problem, they usually need oxygen. And so uh, somebody that's having a little problem with COVID, sometimes they'll send them home with oxygen because you want to bring your oxygen level up in your blood system. Otherwise, you might get an infection. And so uh, not being able to tell this man how that we take uh, somebody from the scene to the hospital. I was probably the older one in the group. That's why he was asking me. Uh, but I was able to direct him that we do in the ambulance have the ability for them to be able to put oxygen on the person. And he didn't have that there, didn't have the ability. I started thinking about the nebulizers and all the things we have in this country. We're very, very privileged in the area of helping people breathe. My father has had COPD his whole life. Uh, he's got problems, probably had asbestos in his lungs because he sprayed this type of texture on walls. This is actually done uh, by a brush. This might have been done even by a, by a knife. Um, no, it's done by a brush. It's a small one, not a, not a paintbrush. It's a, another type of, of brush that's used. But he got it in his lungs. And so my dad, every morning, it takes him a couple of hours just to get settled so he can sit down and breathe. They'll hear him vacuum a little bit, and then he'll sit down for a minute and then vacuum a little bit. At 84 years old, he'll be 85 in, in April. My father is struggling sometimes to breathe. And so when we're talking about breath and we're talking about breathing, we're very fortunate that somebody has given us the opportunity to breathe. Some we had four children, and that's the first thing you want when they come out of the womb is, is you know, sometimes they'll spank them. And, uh, 
having all boys, sometimes they do something else uh, when they come out and uh, looking at the boys and saying, I hope they start crying, and then they do, and then they breathe, and they turn back to a normal color. And so we're all excited about it and so on. And, and so we, we have this understanding that at the birth they begin to breathe, but sometimes people have even trouble after that. Some people have different uh, diseases that, that actually cause scarring on the lungs. The lungs are like fingers that hang down, and on the end of them they can get scabs that actually keep from breathing. So somebody who has a problem with their lungs uh, may have trouble breathing. And so you, you're blessed that you can actually breathe today and that God's given you the lungs that you have. And being able to get that, I, I, I put together a track then because of taking people uh, oxygen into their homes. I saw a lot of people that were dying, and so I wrote a track called The Breath of Life. It's somewhere downstairs, perhaps in, in the file somewhere. But that particular track gives us the opportunity that we can breathe um, with the mechanisms they have here in our country to help us breathe. So I talked about the origin of our breath, and it comes from God. And so if you were to have a biblical worldview, you would understand that your breath this morning has been given to you from God. And so we look at the passage this morning, and this is basically a, a reinstatement of what happened in chapters 1. And um, the reinstatement begins brilliantly in chapter 2 by showing us that God is in complete control if you have your Bibles and you look down at your Bible, you'll see that the word God is mentioned in here several times in chapter 1. It's mentioned three different times in chapter 2, but it's only mentioned at the top when he's discussing a little bit more concerning what God has done. Now that God has completed the creation of man and it completed everything, now it shifts. There's a transition from verse number 3 to verse number 4. It goes from God to Lord God. Now, every time in your Bible where it mentions God in chapter 2, it mentions Lord God. Because you see, now that he's created everything, he is Lord. He is Lord over you, and he will always be Lord over you. And there are people today that don't want anybody lording over them. And uh, there's certain people that are in charge of the guidance of, of people, even in the guidance of God's people that do not believe the word of God. That should never be. They didn't meant it to be for our country. We felt that this country, as a republic, would actually have people that feared God in charge. It was never meant for people that didn't believe in God to be in charge of this country. It never was made for that. The Constitution was not made for that. The Declaration of Independence was not made for that. It was made for people that had a fear of God. And so we see here, first of all, that the Bible uses the word God, God, God created, God said, God said, God blessed, and so on, in chapter 1. Chapter 3 opens up with God, and then the transition is actually happening where God is, over, God is Lord over all. In verse number 7 of our text, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And so this we know, according to the scriptures, that God is the one that breathed into this man that he created. And again, we were formed from the dust of the ground. The Bible is very clear in, in, uh, in, in chapter 1. 
uh, for us to understand that we are going to be, uh, let's look at chapter 3, verse number 24. It says, so he drove out man, he placed uh, at the east of the Garden of Eden, cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned away uh, to keep the to keep the the uh, the way of the tree of life. Look at verse twenty three. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So the Bible's telling us that we came from the ground, and so that's what what uh, Adam was to do was to be a keeper of the ground and to take care of the ground. We understand this. And if you were to look at your Bibles this morning, you would see that the transition then is accepted in the text, except by Satan. Verse, or chapter number 3, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now this is the, the, the serpent uh, said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. So now he's actually dropped the word Lord off because he may admit that he's God, but he's not Lord God. My question is this, is the God the Lord of your life today? It's pretty simple. Either he is or he isn't. Either you're in charge and you're on your throne or else God is on the throne of your heart. And I want to encourage you that as we're talking about the life issue and the existence of life and being able to have that breath of life, understand this, that God has given you the opportunity to be born when you were born. And he had a purpose for you. He has a desire for you to glorify him. And he desires you to glorify him in where he's placed you. And you can be a light right where you are. And you can encourage others because of the Lord God. And I want you to know that you need to make him the Lord God of your life. In here, he actually convinces even Eve. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said. Now she doesn't even say the word Lord God. And so Satan has already got a little bit of a, a little bit of a way with Eve because he's convinced her that it's just God and not Lord God. Now, if we were to look at the fall of man, and then we see what happens, and Satan goes away, look at verse number 8 of chapter 3. It says, and they heard the voice of the Lord God. So it goes back to the Lord God, because he is Lord over all. With that in mind, I want you to turn to Psalm uh, 139 this morning, and I want to give to you a message, what I believe is absolutely essential concerning you and the birth that God has given to you and where you came from. Because isn't the origin of where you're from important? I think when it comes to this particular issue, the Bible gives us so much here in Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, I want to break it up into just a few um, uh, of uh, maybe sections, if you would, verses 1 through 6, um, verses 7 through 12, and verses 13 through 18. Those are the verses I'll cover this morning. I'll go rather quickly because I have eight minutes, and they'll be coming up from downstairs for the business meeting, uh, but I, in a way, I, it's okay, because this is a very simple message, but I want you to look at the first portion of this particular psalm and understand that the, the view of God was absolutely essential in the author uh, of this particular psalm. David writes out the psalm, and remember, this psalm was actually done in, in a way that they would sing, and so there was a purpose uh, to be able to sing, many of the Wesley um, family felt it was important to sing your doctrine. That's why we have so many hymns written with good doctrine in them. We sang it this morning. I just reached over to um, 
to uh, Alex and said, um, they don't sing this song, the old-fashioned. I love that song. That's, that's a beautiful song, the old-fashioned, uh, wonderful, uh, the old-fashioned grace, basically the old-fashioned story, but they don't sing about that much anymore in churches. And, and it's sad to see people setting aside the great hymns of the faith for different kind of music today. And that, my message isn't about that. My message is about really understanding that there is good thought in this psalm because they were meant to sing it. In the first six verses, you're going to see that there is an understanding of God's omniscience. Now, when we're talking about the omniscience of God, we're talking about God knowing everything. So if God is all-knowing, then the psalmist is giving us this understanding. And let me just read the verses for you. Verses 1 through 6, follow along in your Bible. It says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsittings and my uprisings. Thou understandest my thought far off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. And whither, of course, I, I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? In the first six verses, the Bible's basically telling us that God knows everything. There's a song out there that he knows my name. Well, let me tell you something, dear friend. He knows more than just your name. He knows everything about you. As we're talking about God knows all men, that God knows every person that is on this earth. How many people are there on the earth? Almost 8 billion people, almost. We're almost to 8 billion. Can you imagine 8 billion people? The thought of it is just, just incredible, but did you know that God knows every single person on this earth and knows their name? He knows everything about them. He knows everything about you. I had a lady call me this week that was struggling, and she's probably watching right now, this whole thing about, about you know, that how can God know everything? Because he is God. I wouldn't give my heart to any other God but Jehovah. I'm so thankful that somebody came along and showed me the true God. And this is the true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must come to the place of understanding that he knows us and he knows everything about us. God knows all men. And this psalm, of course, was meant to be sung. God knows your name. The earth is the Lord's and the world thereof. And they that dwell therein, the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. Psalm 24, verse number 1, helps us to understand that this earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The, the world and they that dwell therein. It is all the Lord's. This is my Father's world. Somebody wrote a song about that, that God knows everything about everybody at all times. What a phenomenal thought that our God knows everything, everything that needs to know about me. I was thinking about how that when I was uh, overseas and I wanted to get a little more understanding of Tammy, I was desiring to, to, to date her and and, of course, I was planning on marrying her. When I got back, I was going to, to um, uh, propose to her. And, uh, but I would take those letters, and I would read them. Uh, I've kept them all. They're, they're in an ammo box. 
I remember the, them guys coming and saying, the, 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 the guy would bring the mail, and they'd say, oh, Paula got one. They could smell it coming. Uh, you know, she'd put some little perfume on it a little bit, and, and I would open it up, and it, it, it would just uh, be full of words. Um, what, what a blessing. I got to know her from her letters. I remember when I was in college uh, before the Marine Corps, and I remember her giving me, uh, it looked like kind of like a snowflake or something, um, that she had made, and then she wrote on every single little corner on it, so I had to look at it and read it. Uh, I was not used to that. I was used to getting things. There was girls that I had at college that I had dated, and they would buy me things. They'd buy me a cookie. They'd buy me a candy bar, buy me, you know, aftershave, you know. Uh, some of them wanted to buy me a deodorant. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, uh, I remember having that letter from Tammy and thinking, wow, there's something here that's deep. She's writing her feelings about me, and she's caring for me. And, you know, that's really what the Bible is. The Bible is a love letter, and you get to read it, and you get to understand more of who God is. And as we read this portion of Psalm 139, it gives us an incredible amount of understanding that God knows everything about us. He knows all men thoroughly. Think about that. He thinks about and he knows about their words. He knows about their actions. He knows their thoughts. It's, it's almost like uh, you are like a beehive and a glass beehive. That all of these bees are in glass and you can see all of them and all your thoughts and every part of you. God can see all of that because he sees through you. He sees your motives. He sees your burdens. He sees your cares. God knows. The Revelation tell us that God knows everything also, helping us understand that the church is about this church and about every other church. God knows all about it. And maybe you're dealing with an issue right now and you don't think anybody really cares, but God does because he knows what you're going through. And he knows what it was like to go through those early years when it happened to you. He knows those nights where you didn't sleep, those nights when you had nothing but turmoil, Maybe you got put into the hospital. Maybe you had difficulties. I really appreciate that song this morning and understanding that, that, that William Cooper or William Cooper, however you want to name him, however you, you want to. I say things up here, but then I get corrected afterwards. It's not Cooper. It's not Cowper. It's Cooper. If I want to call him Cowper, let me call him Cowper, okay? <laughs> Spell Cowper, isn't it? Do you think of people who have been through more difficulties than you, uh, and you think you're the only one that's gone through a hard time, then you're mistaken. Uh, Because there have been people that have been put away because of different things. They say, well, this person is not mentally able to handle anything. And God knew the difficulty that that person went through. And all the things that he went through, being put inside of a, I believe it was William Cowper that wrote that song. Is that right? Got put into a a sane asylum. And uh, when they were able to remove him from his room, he had those words written on the wall because they helped him. He wrote that song, of course, but those, those words helped him. And there are certain words, there are certain songs, and there are certain verses that you hang on to that'll help you too. But let me tell you something, dear friend. God knows your difficulty. He knows your troubles. He knows your hurts. He knows your burdens. He knows. 
And if he knows, he cares. I remember when I was with a family and their 45-year-old son had passed away in a room. They said, you can go in and see him if you'd like, Pastor, and I did. One of my best friends. And as I walked into that room, I saw him laying there with cellophane over his stomach, over his chest. You could see into his body. They had taken his heart and given him a new heart, and they took his heart out again. They said we could find another heart, and we could keep him alive by this machine, and mom and dad said no. And as we walked away from that room, I thought to myself, do you care enough, God, to take care of this couple? Because this is really hard for mom and dad. And it's been hard ever since. But God knew. God knew it was going to happen. I remember seeing him and shaking hands with him right after surgery, and then I came to the pulpit. I was so tired. He came to the church, and I preached a message. He came out of surgery Sunday morning really early. He called me on Saturday night. I'm telling you the story because there are people that have more hurts than you've had that God has helped. There's more difficulties uh, in the person sitting next to you than you really know. But God helped them through. And God knows your situation. The Bible tells it here. The first six verses give us that understanding of God's omniscience. He knows everything. Let it set in. He knows you. He knows everything you've been through. He knows how you feel when you're all alone. He knows you more than you even understand. He's watching from heaven and looking down upon you this morning, and he sees your pain. Sees your loneliness, sees your difficulty. He knows and he cares. God knows you thoroughly. He knows your words and your actions. God knows you constantly. He knows all men constantly. In other words, there's not a time when he doesn't know. Well, that might have slipped God's memory. God doesn't have a bad memory. The only thing he forgets is your sins when you confess them. But listen to this. He knows you, and he he knows everything constantly, every day, all day long. You might not be able to get a phone call from someone who loves you. You're just waiting for them to give you a call. Let me tell you something. God is always ready to answer you, waiting upon you, because he knows. And he never slumbers. He never sleeps. He never gets tired. He's full of energy all the time. He is nothing but light. And he is a burning fire waiting to answer your need. If you just call out to him, God knows. The scriptures give us this understanding in these six verses, and it helps us to understand that God knows everything. He knows when we work. He knows when we rest. He knows how we walk. You know one of the most dangerous things to our country is Christmas? if we're not careful. Because if we're teaching our children that Santa, you unscramble his words at Satan. If you, he watches you when you're sleeping. Isn't that kind of creepy? To have some fat man that lives down the road watching you while you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you... No, he does not. But God does. And ultimately, if we think that Santa is better than a God, and if we teach our children that Santa is better than God, then we've been, we've been brainwashed, people. And you know what's happening today? America's people are waking up. Because we've been tricked. 
and we're still being tricked. There is a God in heaven who is not happy with America. And you know what? It just seems like some are shaking their fist at him and saying, doesn't matter what you do, we're going to continue to do things the way we want to do them. They don't pray. They don't thank God that they have a beautiful building called the White House. They don't thank God. All of that was built because they understood who God was. I think America needs to understand that God, the God in heaven, is omniscient. God's knowledge of us differs from our knowledge of each other. I think sometimes we think, well, I know that person. They wouldn't be able to be as consistent in that position. I know that person because they wouldn't do it. I know them. I just know them. No, you don't. God does. His knowledge is primary and independent. His knowledge of you is clear and perfect. There's no fogginess with God. Sometimes you'll hear a person say, I know you better than you know yourself. That could be. But nobody knows you better than God. And that's what the psalmist wanted us to know. But there's more. He also wanted us to know that our God is omnipresent. Look what verse 7 says. I want you to read with me down to verse number 12. If I ascend, look at verse number 7. Whether I go from thy spirit... Whither can I, shall I f- flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. And if I make my bed in hell or in the grave, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. And if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hides not from thee, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both like unto thee. Why? Because there's no darkness in him, but there's darkness in you. You are variableness. He is invariableness. There is no changing in him. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there's changing in you. And if you don't think you've changed, look in the mirror today. Now, with the stuff that we have today, we can actually look back. And they remind you of things. If you have social media, this was you seven years ago. And you look at a picture of what you looked like seven years ago and what you look like now. I remember when I first came to this church, I was 35, 30. 36, 37. I was 37 years old that June. June 8th I came. It was my birthday. I sat up here. I think we got the same chairs. <laughs> no. But it was amazing because I look back at how young and how quick and how, how, how alert I was and everything, and it's like it's not that way anymore. How impatient I was and how direct I was, and things are different now. You know why? It's because we change. But the God of heaven never does. And he is everywhere at all times. In every portion of space, he is there, always. Not a pantheist, but a God who is there, present, personally. 
I think he's there personally, and I think we can see that in the text, because it says in the text, if you look at it, it says, thy spirit, thy presence, thou art there, thou art there, verse number 10, it's thy hand leads me, thy right hand shall hold me, it's God, him personally is there with you through the difficulties. I remember being in a foxhole, and we dug it out, and put all kinds of sandbags around it, and I was able to stand up and appear out and look out over the houses in Lebanon and Beirut, and there was all kinds of things going on. One evening, I remember uh, some flares going up, and then they were shining over the, the field and all of the Constantine wire, and there was seven men with K- AK-47s. They weren't our guns, and they were just a little ways from me. But I can tell you this, I was not alone that God was with me. I asked permission if I could shoot every one of them. They said, no, hold your fire. I remember one time when there was a tripod. It was a 50 caliber up on a building, way up on a building. And and I I was talking to some guys, and we were transitioning from from the foxhole, and they were going to come in and take it over for six hours on, six hours off, six hours on, six hours off. And I was going to change, and all of a sudden I looked down, and I thought, what are these grasshoppers are just coming out of the sand? And then a few minutes later, I heard da 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 in the distance. It was 50 caliber, and if I would have waited any more, any more time, those would have been directly right on us. So we jumped into the foxhole. I was ready to go over and see where those grasshoppers were jumping out. And then I could see in the building a tripod. I said, I can take them out if you let me. He said, hold your fire. We had to hold our fire because we were a peacekeeping force. Let me tell you something. Those nights were very, very difficult as you laid in a tent but I'm here to tell you that God was there all the time. And then it would come to my mind, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It was amazing because these verses would come to my mind to help me, and their songs would come to my mind. It was the Spirit of God because he knew me. He knew my name. He knew where I was. He knew my hurts. He knew my fears. And guess what? He still does. He knows you. He knows the difficulties you went through and the heartaches you've been through. He knows that sometimes you get lonely when your wife doesn't want to do some things, or your husband doesn't want to do some things, or you want to be able to do this or do that. God knows all of that. He knows what it's like when you're home alone, and it seems like nobody cares about you. He's present with you. God is personally present everywhere at all times. This wasn't written by a pantheist. God is everywhere but not everything. God is intelligence, which guides and gives us a power to be able to be sustained in anything that comes our way. In him, we live and we have our being. Let me just share with you that God is present in person with you at all times, according to the scriptures. And now, I come to the sermon, and I'll finish it in three minutes. Look at the next verses. For thou hast possessed my reins, and thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. The word covered there means, it's the Hebrew word that means woven. Everything was put together in the womb. The color of eyes, the size of your nose. It's amazing because with me, there is no doubt that when a woman 
conceives a child, that that child is a living person, that that is a being, a human living within that mother. And I don't know how they were able to pass what they passed in 1973, but they did it against God. And all of these years, they've been thinking that maybe perhaps it'd be okay and nobody's going to say anything, but you know what? God is the one that keeps the books. None go missing. None get burned. None get misplaced. Every person that was responsible for what happened will pay their dues. God will take it unless, unless they come to the cross. And that's where I want to talk to you for just a moment. I'll close. The Bible says really clearly here that the reins or the baby is actually formed. It says in verse 14, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully, marvelously made. And I think that if we were to look at, at this particular verse and see that God had made us, verse number 15, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance and yet being unperfect. And in thy book, all my members were written which in continuance were fashioned, and yet there was none of them. It's amazing how powerful God is that he could actually allow a little baby to be born in a womb. I I don't understand how the doctors could say that there is no God. You look at what God's done. What power. Incredible. I was thinking about the heart alone. Did you know that your heart contracts 4,000 times every hour? 4,000 times every hour? That's, that's amazing. So if a person lives 80 years at the heart rate of 100,000 strokes every 24 hours, that's incredible. How many times your heart beats? Just the human heart alone which should make us tremble at the awesomeness of our God. There is a God in heaven who cares. And as soon as that baby's heart beats in the womb, as soon as all the doctors should say, that's a human being, there's no doubt about it. There is no turning back once they've made a decision to believe unless they come to Christ I want to talk to you about the abundant, abundant life that God's given you an opportunity, and that can only come through the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been living your life maybe to yourself, and you've been thinking about yourself all of these years, and now it's time to give your heart to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never done that. You're not living the abundant life. Oh, you're living and you're breathing. You see that God made you and God formed you. But have you given him your heart? If you've never done that, you're not living the abundant life. God gives you that opportunity to come to him and receive him. He formed you. He knows you. He's constantly with you. Why don't you give him your heart? Every eye closed just for a moment, every head bowed. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I've never acknowledged that Jesus is God. And I've never asked him to save me. 
But lately the Lord has been working in my heart. And I believe it's time to receive him. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? I'm struggling. I need Jesus Christ. I know that this place is telling me the truth, the word of God. And I know that I can actually ask Jesus to come and save me. And I want to do that today. I need Jesus in my life. Is there anybody that would say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? I need Jesus. I need him. I need that God you're talking about. Personally. Then Christian, this message was for you. How long has it been? Since you've told him you love him. He knows everything about you. He's told you he's loved you. And he knows about you. Do you know who he is? Maybe as a Christian, this would be the year that you would read the Bible all the way through. This would be the year that you'd give yourself to Christ even further than what you have. Say, Lord, here I am. I'm fully surrendering to you. Then why don't you come? With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you stand to your feet? No one looking around this morning. Father, I pray that you'd bless the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.